Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So there's a rumor that there's a shakeup in Atlanta. Yes. And somebody's gonna get fired. Yes. Um, I think it should be you. What? <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you why. Because there's nothing more exciting yeah. that you can give to us. I don't wanna see you fight. I don't wanna see you get divorced. Right. Like, I think that it's time. The only thing is that then what will you do for a paycheck? But I was thinking, this is still a model, just like Christy Brinkley. <laughs> model. Keep all that together. Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Kara Berry. I'm going to start off right out the gate with our brand new segment called Girl. And this week's girl is Jennifer Aniston. My friend Shara, I love you dearly and I hate that you sent me this article because it's so deeply upsetting to me. Jennifer, here's here's my thing, you guys. <sighs> I don't want to give into like the friends uh, cultural commentary complex of it all. Like it, they have created a whole um, just a whole machine around the commentary of friends and friends being according to whoever feels like telling us the greatest cultural contribution that has ever happened on American television. I am sick of it. And you know, how it's not usually when we find ourselves annoyed by things, it's not usually the thing that we're annoyed by. It's like the fever and the fandom and the excitement around that thing. That's just like, ugh, it ruins it for us. But I have to say like, for me with regards to friends, it's both. Is it, was it that good of a show? It's a, it's a show that you watch if you have nothing else to do. Like it's a fine show. 
it's a fine show. I have no problem watching Friends if I'm in the waiting room or if they're playing a rerun at the airport or something or, you know, I will passively watch an episode of Friends you know, if I don't really have a choice to do anything else, if I don't have like a podcast to listen to or whatever. But for us to act like as a society, we have to raise Matt LeBlanc up on our shoulders every seven months. And holy shit, Courtney Cox has posted another picture of her with Lisa Kudrow. I'm shaking and crying, you guys. Like I cannot <laughs> with the Friends fandom. It's really one of the things that drives me up the wall. I've, you know, like a separate issue with Jennifer Aniston. Maybe not with Jennifer Aniston, but with the whoever is continuing to force her down our throats. Now, I don't really have a problem with Jennifer. I think she seems perfectly fine. She seems to be like a delightful little pot smoking, vino rubbing on your skin, smart water drinking bitch. Sure, fine, harmless. Doesn't mean anything to me. I think that Jennifer really could have had the same career uh, that she would have had, like if they hadn't pushed this Brad and Angelina thing. Like, if the Brad and Angelina of it all had never happened, let's imagine this world where, (laughs) truthfully, the greatest probably cultural impact that the Friends universe has had on our society has probably been the continuous conversations around the triangle that is uh, Brad, Jen, and Angelina. Well, let's just say that that never happened. Let's say maybe she divorced Brad. Maybe she did. Maybe they stayed together. Whatever. I think she would have had the exact same career where people would have been like, oh, my God, look at you. You're so beautiful. Oh, look at her. She's fabulous at 45. And can't you believe that a woman um, can still have abs past the age of 40? Oh, oh, look at her. God bless her. She's still hot. I think we would have still gotten the same thing out of her. But this is a bridge too far. We have evolved so much when it comes to diet culture and the way we speak about the things that we put in our bodies and the work that we do and blah, blah, blah. And last week I did a recap of the part two of uh, the Kardashians reunion and I missed a segment in which Andy asked the women if they feel like they have any sort of responsibility or claim to um, beauty standards, the beauty standards that uh, people live by today. And Kendall was like, no, you know, Kendall, who is by all intents and purposes, like the most, probably the most natural looking out of all of them besides Courtney, um, certainly has seemingly had the least amount of work done really sat here there with her whole chest talking about how they promote healthy lifestyles and that they don't um, promote lifestyles that are unattainable because they work so hard on their bodies and they just want, you know, that's a message that they want to send out that they, you know, like it's, they've never sent out um, unhealthy messages when it comes to body images. L M F A O girl the fact that she sat there 
and that everybody was straight-faced, like, listening to her talk about this bullshit. Girl, anyway. So, it was just, like, a stark reminder of, like, people not taking responsibility. So, this article, posted by Vanity Fair, but it was an article, it was a reposting of an article, or, excuse me, an interview that Jennifer had done with People Magazine. So, let me just read to you what went on in this interview. So, The title of the article is Jennifer Aniston says she's, quote, no longer afraid of the breadbasket. And the article says Jennifer Aniston has been on a low carb diet for decades in order to keep herself in tip top physical shape. But the actress confessed that as she's getting older, she's learning to embrace the breadbasket. Can you believe it? Braver than our troops, Jennifer Aniston eating a roll, maybe a piece of toast in the morning. Aniston revealed that she's recently started incorporating the much maligned food group back into her diet. I started to give myself a break, allowing yourself to have pasta, a sandwich, she told people in a new interview. Everyone's very afraid of the breadbasket, and I'm no longer afraid. As long as it's all done in moderation. And since adding various glutens back into her life, she says that her body has never been happier. There's something that my body appreciates about having carbs, like, oh, thank you. Why are you depriving me of things I love, she said. Besides, her newfound love of pasta winds up being balanced out as I kind of naturally do intermittent fasting because I'm just not a breakfast person. I just like a cup of coffee and my collagen. Now, there are a few things, like, I have to admit that I am a bit of an outsider, or maybe this is just, like, something that I have not, like, carried into my real life, is that... You know, I hear women talk about how the media portrays women and and what is the beauty standards and how they felt so much pressure to adhere to those standards. Now, you know, as a black woman, (laughs) I have never felt like I've been, or growing up, really, as a black girl, I was never in these conversations, like, Footage not found of a girl looking like me, um, like, represented in the media or in fashion or whatever. But I never really, I don't really feel like I internalized that or I felt the pressure to be something or someone that I wasn't. And, but I do remember, and it's sticking with me, seeing all these conversations about what these celebrities who are clearly working themselves to the bone to stay fit and thin will go on these uh, interviews and be like, oh, you know, I just do like yoga a couple times a day or a couple times a week. And like, I don't really like to work out. Like, you know, I don't really like to run, but like, uh, you know, um, you know, I, I eat, you know, I eat so much. I, eat, I love pizza. I love it. And, you know, like, I'm just blessed to have this body. And it's like, girl, no, you have a trainer. You're on a strict diet. You're not eating the things that you're claiming to eat in this article. You're not going down to in and out Like, you're not like, oh, I love Taco Bell. I love Taco something. Like, girl, you are not in that drive-thru on Tuesdays. You're not doing it. It's not happening. Shut your mouth. We all know how this is happening. So this article just felt like such a throwback of, like, Oh, con- using the word confess, and I, in, in, resp- in, 
using the word confess, R-E, talking about eating pasta and bread and introducing it back into your diet, that is so dangerous and it's so fucked up. And maybe I really shouldn't be as mad at Jennifer, even though she is saying some pretty whack things as this person who wrote the article. It. I, I think the reason why it's annoying me is that this article, I feel like, should not exist in 2021. It should not exist in 2018. It should not exist in 2015. Like, I felt like we were way past these types of conversations. And I'm just, like, shocked that they're allowing to it continue to continue. And I feel like part of it is because it's Jennifer Aniston and we're supposed to celebrate everything that she does for the entirety of her career. Like, girl... No shade, but shade. What was the last... I can't remember a movie that she did that wasn't with Vince Vaughn in the past 15 years. I don't get it. And, like, again, do your thing, baby girl. Like, you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. You're Linda Evangelista. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. But what... Confessing. (laughs) Confessing. Oh, girl. And to say that your body's response after years of depriving yourself of these carbs and these breads for you to openly admit that, like, your body's like, oh, my God, why are you literally says, why are you depriving me of things I love? That's really sad. Like, you don't hear yourself when you say that. the, The article goes on to say, Aniston initially confessed She was slowly letting carbs back into her life in 2015. Let me just repeat that sentence. Aniston initially confessed she was slowly letting carbs back into her life in 2015. (laughs) Was she at an interrogation table? Like, it almost, they almost sound like she's an addict and like, oh, Like, Drew Barrymore went to rehab, but she's solely introducing drinking into her life because she thinks she can handle it. We're talking about Jennifer Aniston, like, having a tortilla every now and again. Like, a a little bowl of pasta. She initially confessed that she started introducing it back to her life in 2015. She goes on to say, this is a quote from 2015, telling InStyle, I've been allowing myself a lot more in the past few years. She confessed that that type of food does make it harder to lose those last few pounds, but you have to live, you have to live. And so what? You go up a size. What's the big deal? Yeah. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? And pasta and pastries can certainly be more enjoyable than the greens and vegetables and lean proteins and kale, she says. She was exclusively eating until then. This is what really fucked me up. She added the even more haunting revelation that... Quote, when I really wanted to have a cheat day, I had to have a kale chip. Now, a kale chip is about 1.75 calories per chip. (laughs) Like, girl, that is a haunting thing. Then the article goes on to talk about how, like, she's mixing, uh, you know, health with pleasure. (laughs) Okay, another weird way of saying that, like, you can either be healthy or you can be happy, but you can't have both. (laughs) Health, skinny, fame, uh, a dry eye commercial, or you can be happy with your bowl of pasta. 
Okay. Um, then she talks about how like insane her workouts are and how she hasn't been able to really work out since she hurt herself in the fall and how she was trying to think she had, she ended up injuring herself and getting a nine millimeter bulging disc. And she was trying to think about like what possibly it could have been that did that to her. And then she was like, Oh, you know, maybe this, here's what the article says. Um, my whole workout had to change after this injury. So she started doing Pilates to quote rehab her back, which taught her that fitness can still be effective even when it's not super intense and complicated. She said, when I threw my back out, I was like, maybe it was that lunge twist squat move. We can't just do one simple move. We tried to add four moves in one. It, it makes me so sad that this woman is over the age of 50, that she's having to, quote, confess about introducing carbs back into her life after decades of depriving herself of anything aside from the occasional cheat kale chip. It, it's sad. That is so sad. <laughs> the girl is too, Jennifer. The girl is too, the writer of this article for making it seem like this is something that we should be talking about in this way in 2021. The girl is to society at large. But really, I'm going to do the girl to Jennifer Aniston. Girl, get a muffin. I'm sorry. Get a, mu- get a muffin. And really, if all that suffering was for her to have the kind of career that she's had, then like the girl really is at Hollywood because her career isn't that great anyway. <laughs> like if we're for really being real. It's like she deprived herself for decades of a grueling diet for just like a marginally okay movie career. Was it worth it? I don't think so. Anyway, let's move on. Let's move on to Drake Bell. So you guys know I told you a couple weeks ago that the dude got locked up in Ohio for endangerment of a child, a very vague descriptor. Um, People really didn't understand what was going on with that. And come to find out, uh, he pled guilty to the charges of relating, the charges are relating to crimes against the child. Um, The judge has accepted his guilty plea. He is currently due to be sentenced at some point in July, in the next few weeks, and he could face up to 18 months in prison. So like I said, he was arrested in Cleveland um, for a fourth degree felony and a first degree misdemeanor. The charges are related to an interaction between him and a then 15 year old child at a Cleveland nightclub in 2017. Um, The case was filed in 2018, and when that case was filed, they, you know, did their discovery phase, and in the investigation, they um, had come to find out that Drake had established a relationship with that 15-year-old girl um, several years prior to whatever happened, and at times, those uh, interactions were sexual in nature. Um, so they said that while Drake was in Ohio, which is where that girl lived, that he, quote, violated his duty of care and in doing so created a risk of harm to the victim. And 
the investigation also revealed that in the months leading up to the concert that this situation happened at, Bell had sent the uh, victim inappropriate social media messages, and he previously pleaded not guilty, waived the uh, reading of the indictment, but then he changed his plea to guilty. The biggest mystery of all remains what exactly did he do? Those details have not come out yet. When they do or if they do, I will be sure to let you guys know. It, but it is very strange. Even if they don't, even if the accused waives their right to have their uh, charges read out in court you would still think that, that information would have come out by now, like it did, like Jen Shaw, for example, and Stewart, they chose to waive their, um, whatever, like waive the right to have their charges uh, read out in court. So, but we all knew exactly what happened. So I'm just very confused, maybe because it involves a minor. Um, he gets, in a way, kind of protected by not saying what happened, but we'll see. We'll see. July is not a good month for the creeps, you guys. If Not a good month to be a... I, I shouldn't... This is not a joke. It, it's... Uh, what's his face? Josh Duggar is also getting sentenced in July. So this is going to be a major um, month for hopefully these victims getting what they deserve, which is these people locked up for as long as possible. Speaking of Josh Duggar, there have actually been a couple of updates leading up to the trial. Like I said, it's supposed to begin in July, July 6th to be exact. However, Josh's defense team is trying to get the trial pushed back till at least February of 2022. In the request, Josh Duggar's attorneys say that the evidence against their client requires their experts to examine his computer and based on the discovery provided to date, the government's allegations largely center on computer forensic evidence in anticipated expert opinion testimony. Um, and they say that this is basically going to be a time-consuming process, and so they need extra time to go through everything and figure it out. The prosecution, however, they filed a response that say, yeah, we might be able to give you a few months, but pushing it back all the way to February would be an unnecessary delay of the trial. Now, I mean, <laughs> to me, I'm thinking, okay, if what they're doing is like, we're hiring an independent forensic investigator to go through and like comb through the computer and figure out whatever they think that they can figure out from these files, like, once you get to February, I, I guess my question is, what are they hoping to, hoping to find out? What are they thinking they're going to find on that computer that is going to save Josh? Other, I mean, the only possible thing is he worked, you know, the computer was found on his uh, uh, car dealership. There were, I believe, two other employees working there. So the only possible answer to if it's not Josh then did one of those other employees who I believe are both brothers of his did one of them or both of them conspire to put this porn this I mean I shouldn't say porn this uh, images of child sex abuse on his computer <sighs> that seems like uh, far-fetched 
far-fetched, Joshua. I doubt that. And I feel like if that's what they think is going to find out, you might want to say something now. You know? <laughs> I, this sounds just very stupid and like a, a waste of money, but... Anyway, um, y'all want to hear something else that is weird? So we know that Josh is, uh, he can't stay with family because he can't stay with anybody who has minor children. He can't stay on his, so meaning he can't stay with his children. He has access to the children via Anna. I believe he can have as much access to them, like monitored access to his own children as he wants. But in terms of other kids, like he can't be at his home because he lives on the Duggar family property, which still has how many minor children at that home. So, um, he's been living for the past few weeks with, uh, family friends of Jim, Bob and Michelle. And the thing that really fucked me up about this whole, I mean, about this specific part of the situation is that Josh was living with family friends that have an adult daughter. The adult daughter teaches piano lessons in the home. And so she was having to change her life because some of her, uh, her students were minors. So she was trying to have to figure out different venues to teach her minor children piano because they couldn't be at the house anymore so it comes to find out that this daughter there such a tangled web that's being woven so not only did this family have a connection to jim bob and michelle a friendship with them it appears that you'll have to follow me on this so anna's brother Josh's wife is Anna. Anna has a brother, a single brother. Turns out that that brother is courting the daughter of the family that Josh is now living with. So it just all seems a little too connected, a little too like we're protecting the situation, a little too like we're not really seeing the forest for the trees here. And we're just, like, just protecting this creep. This absolute creep, creep, pervy, pervy, scum of the earth little weasel. And, y'all, I, 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 like, I go back and forth on these Duggar updates because some of them are just, like, so ridiculous. Not because they're not true, but because these people are ridiculous. Like, I read an article about how Anna was blaming Joe Biden for Josh's arrest and how this was somehow some sort of like conspiracy against Trump and girl, girl, I know that you're completely brainwashed, but like by name thinking about you, girl, and and you should probably be grateful for that, given all of the disgusting things that your husband does. You should be grateful that the president does not have you or your family on his radar. Okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, let's let's move on to something a little bit lighter and brighter, shall we? Well, I want to talk about the two pettiest things that have happened on the internet in the past week that have made me laugh, and. Does it make me a good person? Um, probably not. But you know what? Laughter is a healing. It's a medicine. 
And the more we get it, the better we are. So that's my truth. And I'm standing in it. First of all, I want to start with Cynthia Bailey, Real Housewives of Atlanta, going onto the Wendy Williams show, only to have Wendy tell her that of the current cast members from last season, she should be the one to leave. (laughs) One thing about Wendy is that she will tell you exactly how she feels and she does not give a fuck who is standing before her. I died. I died. Um, Cynthia to me is an interesting housewife. (sighs) The thing that I find about like housewives that get dubbed with this, like they don't do anything. They don't contribute. They don't add to the drama. They're so boring. Blah, blah, blah. Is that y'all miss them when they're gone. Y'all miss them when they're gone. And I always stand and stand up for and root for these women because I know in my heart of hearts, like, I would be them. I would be them. I that's why I identify with Candy. Candy who only wants to be sure that she is within a 15 foot mile radius or 15 foot radius of um, any sort of catered food situation that might be happening. She will keep a secret if she needs to, especially when it comes to like some freaky sex shit. And generally she ends up gluing all the women together Cynthia largely not too dramatic not too we don't see a whole lot of her storylines are we interested in the chill are we interested in Lake Bailey on the hill are we interested in Mike no am I happy for her absolutely but if we're talking about like entertaining relationships that she had obviously obviously we're gonna go and talk about Peter Thomas um uh, but I thought it was so funny. I posted the, the clip, so you guys already heard it, of her being like, I don't know what you're going to do. Like, <laughs> trying to strategize her own career <laughs> right in front of her. Um, Wendy did ask Cynthia who she thought should be next, or who she thought should not be on the show. And she basically said, like, oh, the, the only person who I think shouldn't be on the show isn't on the show, meaning NeNe. Um, so, so funny. I... I love Wendy Williams in a very specific way. And I was having, I texted Troy McKeady about, here's the beautiful thing about being a podcaster, you guys, is that you get like podcaster perks that I think that people don't really talk about, but it's where you can talk to different podcasters about things that they had talked about or ask them to come on your show. (laughs) Maybe this is just like my behavior and like me telling on myself. But one of the great perks about Troy is that literally I will shout from the rooftops how great Troy is and how great his podcast Dunzo is. If you haven't listened to Dunzo, like get out of here. Um, But the great thing about Troy as a person is that he is a human encyclopedia. He has a knowledge unparalleled to everybody. So I just have this like warehouse, like my brain is like a hoarder's house where it's like, I know where everything is. And like, sometimes things will be a surprise and they'll come up out of nowhere. But like, there's a lot of mess happening. Troy's brain is like a government level, just like files, receipts and information. So I can literally text him anything And he will have a thoughtful response to anything. It's incredible. So anyway, I texted him the other day and I asked him, because here's in my hoarder brain, a random thought creeping up. um, 
how do we think that Wendy is going to per be perceived by the media once she passes on? Are people going to be like, oh my God, she was a legend. She was so groundbreaking. Here's this woman in radio. She, you know, burst through that glass ceiling and paved a way. Or are people going to clown her? Troy said he thinks that it's going to be both. And I think he's right. And it's such an interesting thing. Because Wendy has really broken down doors in so many regards. But then it's like the things like this moment... <laughs> You know, it's like the things that remain are her like lighting a stick of, of a Slim Jim on fire with a Bic lighter and, you know, the messy things where she's telling housewives to their faces that they shouldn't have their jobs anymore. So I, I'm looking, I, I just, I love her. I adore her. Honestly, like if I ever have an inside the actor's studio kind of interview about my life and this like <laughs> alleged career that I have, um... I would say that Wendy is one of my inspirations. I really think about her a lot. I think about how honest she is, even if it's not good. And a lot of the times it isn't. <laughs> but you know what? You could be a Wendy or you could be an Ellen and then everything blows up in your pretty nice lady face. And then you're out here looking stupid. And everybody thinks you're a bitch. Because they just found out, you know, because all of all of middle America, all of our moms found out at the same time that this woman is actually a monster. So take it or leave it. But I would rather go the Wendy route, honestly, truthfully, warts and all. Um, what was the other thing that cracked me up? Oh, my God, this TikTok movement, this TikTok protesting that's happening by black creators with response specifically to this Megan the Stallion song. So if you guys don't know, Megan came out with a, a song called Thought Shit a couple weeks ago. A lot of Megan's music tends to take be taken over by TikTok and like black creatives or black creators will create dances to it only to be uh you know popularized and uh congratulated by you know the Addison Rays of the world who get to go on Jimmy Fallon and you know half-ass these dance moves and smile the whole time like a cheerleader you know like she's uh, you know about to do a, a performance for Monica Aldama you know um so what black creatives decided to do was say no more no more not one of them. I think only a couple out of the like thousands of them out there have made a <laughs> dance to this song. And in its stead are white people and white creators who have no idea how to <laughs> create their own content, create their own dances, um, popularize themselves, make them more famous on the backs of these black creators. It is so funny. People have created threads, uh, posting videos of what these creators are doing. Like Addison Ray, for example, uh, couldn't do that cute little dance, could you? So her video is literally of her like at a hibachi restaurant or some sort of restaurant with a long ass table with that guy who I can never remember his name, but his face looks like a Lego and he has these crazy eyebrows and apparently there are large swaths of teens that find this man attractive. I think he looks like Wreck-It Ralph, but, or like Wreck-It Ralph's little brother, I guess I should say. It, it's weird. To, what is his name? Like, Neil or something? I, I, Ian? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, 
she her her videos at a table where she just most of these videos are just like white people just in, uh, doing the lyrics like lip syncing into the video they cannot think it is incredible to watch like they just don't know what to do with this content literally if you've not heard the lyrics the verse is hands on your knees shaking ass on a thought shit out of the dozens of people white people who have created dances not one of them has put their hands on their knees and shake their ass it is in the it's in the song and you can't even think to do that it, it's right there literally the verse is just hands on my knees over again over and over and again she says it like eight times in a row hands on my knees shaking ass on my shaking ass on my thought shit it's incredible it's incredible <laughs> it's truly like the content creator equivalent of the smart kid who was just like, fuck this group project. Y'all can figure it out on your own. And then they have to do their presentation and they're not doing, they don't have anything but like half a sheet of paper. And they're up there looking stupid. This is incredible. I think it was such a smart thing for black creators to do. It has been over a week now. Not one of these very popular white dance TikTokers have been able to create a a choreographed piece not a single one of them it is astonishing there are people out there that are just like there are a couple of them where they're just like putting their waist from one side to the other like no and okay you can't see it <laughs> you can't see what i'm doing but suffice to say the dances are bad there's one where they're like waving their arms around like those uh car dealership wind sock things those little monsters that they put outside when it's like oh yeah refan for your finance out here you know those like shaky weird things that they have out there I, it's incredible it's absolutely incredible i will probably post the thread to this thread of uh dances so you can giggle along with me in the description so check that out in the episode description for those of you guys i guess i should have set this up and been more uh <laughs> descriptive for those of you guys who are not aware of how tiktok works is that it tends to tailor your algorithm towards the things that you watch so like for me <laughs> If I were to go to TikTok, most of the things that you would find, and I have no shame in saying this, are like cute puppies, <laughs> um, Bunny the talking dog with her little buttons, um, you know, uh, people who are surprising their families after long being away from them for a long time, like that sort of thing, um, new you know, a golden retriever meeting its new little puppy sister or brother. That's, that's the content that I'm here for. You know, there's that little, oh my God, there, have you guys seen this little girl? She's like a little Asian girl and she's so polite and she's always thanking her parents for the food that they're giving her. And she just is such a good eater and she's like so happy to eat. And she's just the little cutest thing I've ever seen in my whole world. And I'm obsessed with her. This is what I get on my tiktok um they do have these things where like if you could like if you were to if i were to look at like a bunch of black comedians and i'll get a bunch of you know the algorithm will create itself for me so that i will only see like black creators you know i'll get like a whole rash of them you know um 
so the unfortunate thing is that like for the entirety of there being like real tiktok celebrities and real fame and real money to be made off the app Black creators have felt completely uh, left out of the conversation. They have seen their uh, dances and their jokes and their comedy be taken time and time again by white creators who are making, you know, are becoming millionaires off of the backs of other people's content. So for them to band together and decide we are not going to give you guys our shit for you to take it and steal it and monetize off of it and give us no credit we're not doing it and i say amen i stand with the youth and i support you okay um let's move on <laughs> let's move on to a recap of love after lockup okay let's do it hey it's danny pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Lisa's from a family of, uh, of cr criminals, actually. Her father was a murderer. Two or three of her brothers, they've had troubles with the law and seems like follows them around. It's like a criminal pedigree. Do you think we can help them, babe? I don't know what to tell you on that, baby doll. It's, uh, if, if, you, if you bail them out, it's just going to let them do it again. I think he needs to stay in because he's not learned from the other times. My biggest concern is Lisa going back to her old way of living, using drugs and being around the wrong people and in the wrong places. All right, you guys, the moment you've all been waiting for is here. I have not had a response to a show since Seeking Sister Wife, which ended up being one of the great loves of my life, like I had with the return of Love After Lockup. I really thought that y'all were not watching anymore and that you guys were not interested in hearing a recap. I was wrong, and I admit that. Here go hell come, because this looks to be a the makings of a wild season. Now, is it worth mentioning that I felt like a lot of these parts were really scripted, especially when it came to uh, Rachel? Yes, I think it's worth mentioning. Um, I... It's now missing the element, at least in the first couple of episodes, of... It's really all about... How do I say this? So I have, you know, as a Love After Lockup scholar, 
I pick up on things and what I picked up on the first season, the magic for the first season for me was in the flip, the script being flipped. And by that, I mean, you go into these situations or I at least went into the situation with a preconceived notion that, okay, they have these people on the outside who have never been in jail, getting together with people who are incarcerated and I had the preconceived notions of like, okay, these incarcerated people are going to be a disaster. It's going to be drama. It's going to be a shit show, etc. And then what we found out in season one is that um, the inmates, or the former inmates, were not the ones that I should have been uh, worrying about at all. It was the people on the outside that were really, um, as the kids say, while in the fuck out. Um, so I think that the producers have gotten that in their minds of like, we need to make sure that the person on the outside is as quirky and weird as the, and, and dramatic as the inmate is almost getting like the casting is getting like, you know, in the few, like after we got through the first few seasons of American Idol it became, those first few episodes became the, like, freak show, the circus, where we would see, like, the William Hungs and, you know, the people who couldn't sing or were weird or whatever. And this is starting to be what it's feeling like. It's feeling a little freak show to me, for lack of a better term. But let's talk quickly. I'm I'm going to be doing, like, mini recaps. You're not going to get the typical, I mean, I always say this. But I'm now three minutes in and I haven't even talked about any one of the cast members so far. So we'll see. Putting it out there in the universe that I'm going to be doing mini recaps, but uh, no promises. But I didn't write as many notes as I usually do. So I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling really good and strong about this. So let's start off with Brittany and Ray. I'm already like, Brittany's rubbing me the wrong way. <clears throat> She's with this dude, Ray, incarcerated. They've been together. What is it about, riddle me this, y'all. What is it about that nine-month mark that makes people say, oh, we've been together almost a year? Or we've been together a year? Like, they just skip through the last three months and, like, starting off on third. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Something about that nine, like, she keeps saying, oh, we've been together a year or nine months. But like a year, but really nine months. Um, I don't know why that technicality really rubs me the wrong way, but it does. Um, so Brittany is, and the reason why she annoys me is that she <clears throat> keeps reiterating the fact that she comes from money. She comes from an upper middle class, like a well-to-do, I think she uses the term well-to-do family. I don't care. And also, like, her family seems very solidly middle class. They don't seem like they're balling out of control here. They have what looks to be, as a black, you guys know I'm black. I know Brittany is also black. They have the, we have money, black people, we have money house. It is um, what I would, what is easiest described as, like, aggressive earth tones, in the home. Um, the backsplash had about five different colors in it, all like shades of brown and creams. Um, the whole kitchen was yellow. (laughs) There was so much yellow, so much yellow happening in that kitchen and the dining room. And 
Yes, these are clearly blacks with a bit of uh, disposable income, for sure. Um, Are they the Cosbys? No. The Huxtables. The Huxtables, not the Cosbys. (laughs) Let's not invoke that demon's name today, shall we? Um, So, Brittany, wealthy, wealthy girl, I guess. Um, She is with Ray. She has not told her family about Ray. She's been together, you know, a year or nine months, depending on when she feels like describing it. Um, And she came over to tell her family in front of a box of those Costco cookies, chocolate chip cookies that come in that plastic, you know, with the dome and you have to like squeeze it down to tighten to close up the thing those cookies those sad ones as somebody who like i love cookies you guys like more than i should and i admit that i am a certified cookie monster nothing more sad to me than a like a a store brand cookie maybe the costco ones are better i'm not really a costco girl i live in new york so why but um it there, there's a sadness about a supermarket chocolate chip cookie to me. They all just always look dry and the chips look like they just have like a tangential relationship with real chocolate. Like they've just seen each, they've been in the same room as each other, but there's not really a connection happening there. They're just sad. And they remind me of like, just like, you know, like elementary school, like I have happy memories around them, like elementary school picnics and things like, you know, no, I don't have happy memories. Maybe, maybe I'm unpacking something now. <laughs> maybe I'm unpacking something now. Because I grew up, for the most part, with a working single mother. And so I was not in the house. Like, I would have to ask my mom to make lunch for me. Like, school. Like, I would get school lunch most of the time. But I, there would be times where I'd be like, Mom, can you make my lunch? Because all my friends, like, their moms make their lunch. And this makes my life sound a lot more sad than it. <laughs> But the point is, like, my mom would not be a bake sale lady. She would be like a, let's go down to Kroger, and you better hope that the cookies that they have are the two for five special. Because I'm, if not, if they're full price, I'm only getting one. So maybe that's why I don't like them. (laughs) But, um, so yeah, she's selling them. We've been together a year or nine months, and... (sighs) Her parents are, like, not having it. Her dad's like, listen, we're not trying to raise somebody at the Crossbar Motel. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they're concerned because he's an inmate. They're concerned about how he's going to make a living for himself on the outside. They're concerned about the fact that she, um, you know, has two jobs and a home and a car. And she does apparently find enough for herself. And they want somebody at least on her level. And, um, they are concerned that he's going to see her with all this stuff and try to make money the way he used to before, right? They're also concerned because Brittany's last relationship was an abusive one, a physically abusive one. And they're concerned about her, um, decision-making skills and putting them back in a situation where, you know, they're all held hostage by... Britney's relationship and her boyfriend. So we'll see. Britney continues to lie to them and then say in a confessional, like, oh, I shouldn't lie to them. This is only going to make the situation worse, but I keep doing it. So 
she told them why I'm not sure, but she told them that Ray was going to be um, paroling at his father's house when he's really going to be paroling at Brittany's house. And so um, I don't know how long she plans on keeping that a secret from her family who we're led to believe are very close, except for the fact that they didn't know she was in a relationship. Um, so this is going to be hellish and I can't wait. Let's move on to Rachel and Doug. This has to be the most fucked up relationship. Maybe in all of love after lack of history, because Doug clearly is abusive. He's a dickhead. And the way he speaks to her is not like, normal it's not okay and the fact that she keeps referring to Doug as like cranky when he's just like I can't even describe how the way he speaks to her he's so demanding he we saw him call her this episode and before she even answers the phone she's like oh Doug loves his 25 calls a day 25 calls a day how much are you spending on these calls astronomical fees um I guess she was supposed to figure out, you know, I, you know, there are things that have to come in place after somebody gets with an inmate. So I guess she wanted to talk to his parole officer or, or something or figure out, you know, some sort of paperwork that needed to be done. So he calls her and he's like, have you figured it out? She's like, no, I haven't. And he's like, well, you need to get this done. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like he, a dick, a total, total dick. I could not believe the way he was talking to her and the fact that she like, thinks that this is okay it's really like seeing this woman in an abusive relationship that you guys the man has a child a whole child they've been together for what five months I think she said in episode one her his child his son has been living with her for three months so she's been living as a single mother to a man for a child who's father she's not even really met and not even spent time with on the outside i i'm shocked there was a, a part in episode one where he calls while she's at uh home with his son the son that she's raising and he was playing, I think he was playing a video game and he got upset with her about like, oh, she, he can't be playing video games. Sir, Rachel tells us later that you have not been in your adult life outside of these four walls of the prison for more than 40 days. 40 days has been the longest stretch he's been able to be outside of prison before going in again. And you want to talk about raising a child and who should... What should, who should be doing what and what kind of boundaries? You don't even know your child. She knows your child more than you do. They had this whole conversation and it was so sad where the son was like, I, it, it basically, I can't remember exactly what it said, but he was saying that he was like nervous about his dad coming out and like how he didn't really want to spend time with him. And like, they don't really have a relationship and he's, concerned that his dad was going to come into this house and change this whole dynamic that he has going without them even forming any sort of bond. It's weird. I, I felt really sad for that kid. Um, so Rachel goes to meet up with her mom and they go up for coffee. And I felt like this scene felt really scripted. It didn't seem like 
her mom was as horrified as she was saying she was. Um, so that's unfortunate. <laughs> uh, seems like Rachel's really just like set a precedent for herself in which her mom's just like, well, you know what? She makes like really terrible decisions, but that's our girl. You know, we can't stop her and I guess we'll just see what happens. So, also during this coffee date with her mother, it's revealed that Rachel was in a relationship, <clears throat> a marriage even, prior to this relationship with Doug. She married a guy who, <clears throat> I don't know if it was, what is the chicken or the egg situation with them, but she said that he had a drug problem, a heroin addiction, and also that he was a convict. I'm not sure if I'm not sure which started for like, was he in jail for drugs or was he a drug addict who had been in jail? I'm not sure what the crossover or if there was any crossover, but suffice to say heroin addict in and out of jail. I believe he is currently incarcerated at the moment. So Rachel's just like, yeah, isn't it weird that I just like married that man who really was bad for me. And I, it's kind of like, what did she say? I can't remember, but it was something along the lines of like, it's kind of like me getting out of a fire and then saying, hey, let's go back into the house. And it's like, okay, so you know that. You know that about yourself. And yet you're continuing to be in this relationship with this dude who doesn't even really seem to like you. He's just a dickhead. <sighs> Rachel says that Doug has not Doug has paid her more attention than any other guy and that he worships her and her example of him worshiping her and really caring for her was at one point during their five months relationship, he told her that he wanted to tattoo her name on his genitalia. She told him no, because apparently Rachel, I guess has one limit and that's, uh, your name on somebody's dick. Um, that's not love. That's not worship. That's obsession and abuse, baby. Get out. Let's go on to, uh, let's do Courtney and Josh. Now, this is a real wild ride. So from my understanding, <clears throat> this was like a, just ripped from the storylines of Orange is the New Black. So Courtney, former corrections officer, meets Josh, a man with several um, star tattoos on his neck. Um, they fall in love. Um, I'm not sure whether or not Courtney uh, quit her job, relocated, or <laughs> what, but I seem to be under the impression that Courtney was trying to maintain her place of employment while also dating somebody at her place of employment who was uh, not an employee, not a coworker, um, so she would <laughs> she would go to visitations and with like various shake and go wigs and try to uh, disguise herself so she could visit her man. We see, you know, the blonde bombshell wig, the brown curly wig, just like straight out of the Moira Rose collection, these wigs. Um, she got caught. <laughs> Somebody finally was like, hey girl, don't you work here? Mm -mm. 
and you're here visiting this man. Uh, no, thank you, ma'am. Clankety clank. Courtney goes to jail for 60 days for like fraternizing, I guess. <laughs> Whatever the word is for dating an inmate when you're a corrections officer. She goes to jail for 60 days and gets two years of probation. So Josh is getting out of jail. He's going to be quarantining with her, Courtney, for 14 days. However, he has to go and live after that 14 day quarantine. He has to go directly to stay with one of his cousins because he can't live with her because they're both on parole. <laughs> he can't even live with his wife because they're both on parole. Courtney keeps at trying to convince herself that this is like, you know, me going to jail was all meant to be because I never would have met this wonderful man if it hadn't been for it. And I'll be damned. I'll be damned, girl. <laughs> I will be damned. So as if it couldn't get more wild. Um, apparently Courtney and Josh have an inside joke, which is the meme of the pickle with the caption that says, I'm a bit, kind of a big deal at the bottom. <sighs> Just rubbing my temples right now. So this is the inside joke that they have between them. And so Courtney, as she's waiting for Josh's arrival, because um, her friend has to pick him up because she's not even allowed on the property, on the premises of the jail. Um, so as she's waiting in this abandoned parking lot <laughs> with, she's like, I don't know what you call those things, but they're like, uh, they're for the road. <laughs> they're like big cement slabs. That are kind of like they could create a median or like, I'm not really sure what the purpose of those are, but they're big cement slabs and they go up almost shaped like they're like shaped like a rectangle. I don't know how to describe it, but they're like, they're just big slabs of concrete. So <clears throat> she's hiding behind one of those slabs of concrete and she puts on a pickle costume to surprise him because of the meme that they have. Oh, it's so sad. So <laughs> picture this. A grown ass woman who was recently incarcerated for um, fucking a dude that she shouldn't have been fucking. Like huddled behind, like on the ground of this abandoned parking lot. There are broken, shattered glass and pebbles and, you know, probably an old uh, chicken McNugget box lying around. Um, she is amongst those items in a dill pickle costume behind a slab of concrete. Her man comes out. We can hear him because he's mic'd up in the car and he's like, where is she? Because he can't see her. <laughs> so her friend pulls up to that slab of cement and he... Comes up from behind her and he's like, what are you doing and why are you in a pickle costume? <laughs> this man, Josh, is dressed nicely. He's dressed like a white boy who, like, is about to record, you know, do a photo shoot for his R&B album debut. Um, meeting up with his woman who's in a pickle costume... And underneath that pickle costume is like a tourist sweater from like 
I don't even know where, like Montana or something. <laughs> but imagine hiding behind a slab because you think you're going to make the biggest joke in the world. And then the person sees it and they're like, why are you dressed like that? <laughs> Fail. There really wasn't a whole lot to talk about. I mean, they're both extremely horny. Josh is 29. He's been incarcerated for the past 11 years. So he's nervous about having sex for the first time in a decade or more. And they're just extremely horny. He is so excited to pull up to that trailer and he's telling Courtney, I can't believe that I have this whole empire. You built this whole empire and I came out of jail and it was just waiting and ready for me. And he seems actually genuinely grateful to like have a more so grateful to have a place to live. That seems decent than like being in this relationship, but you know, can't blame him. <laughs> can't blame him. I, I would feel a little um, shocked, a, a little confused, a little lopsided by somebody coming out in a pickle costume with me. Um, <clears throat> let's move on to Deontay and Nicole. Now, Deontay was the one last week, y'all, that shook me to my core because he was talking about that um, uh, sex torso um, that was about the size of a baby doll that he um, has enlarged the holes through um, just like a lot of excessive use and abuse on this sex torso the things that that thing has seen. And then he just literally tossed it into the dishwasher boy. And I bet you anything he did not, um, you know, that sex torso was probably not company ready. I imagine it had not been cleaned before it made its uh, television debut. And, you know, that that's deeply upsetting to me. Deontay has, no boundaries whatsoever. He is, you know, doing um, five to seven push-ups to get ready for Nicole's uh, release. He's going to be picking her up on that day. He is in his car talking about how he's got the bubble guts, but he's just going to hold it in. Ew. Ew. Um, Nicole comes out and thank God, because it appears to be cold outside. Deontay is waiting for her, for her like outside but also across the street from the um, prison, rubbing his hands like Birdman to try and keep warm. So she comes out and honestly, she looked like a high school sophomore being picked up by her college sophomore boyfriend. Like it, it had an ick factor. I think they're 10 years apart. I believe Deontay's 33 to Nicole's 23. Wouldn't you be surprised? Uh, Nicole is much like many of these women who are like, uh, this dude uh, provided a lot of company and comfort. And, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time not having to focus on the fact that I was in jail and I could focus on this man who was putting money on my books for all those honey buns and ramen noodles. And I'm up here just with packets on packets of Cheetos, you girls can't possibly take it. But now I'm about to be on the outside and I don't really fuck with this dude in real life. I'm not trying to literally have sex with him. And I don't even know that I want to be in a relationship, much less living with him, but we'll see. We'll see. This is clearly a mark gone too far. Um, 
Deontay treats Nicole to a glass of red wine, still standing across the street from the prison compound. And honestly, I had to say I was a little bit shocked that he actually brought glass, specific red wine glasses for the occasion. (laughs) Um, And then he also brought another gift, which was a, a nice little envelope from the bank enclosed with a thousand dollars all for Nicole. Um, this dude's already said he spent like 20, 30 grand already on her. So, whoo, whoo, I'm dizzy. I'm dizzy. Like I said, clear. first of all, makeup done, nails done. The girl had on French. How did she get French tips? <laughs> How did she, the, the innovations that happen within a prison, they really know no bounds. And I, I love, I love to see all of the, all of the new technology that's coming out of the prison system. I really do. She had full face of makeup that ended up, I I would love to know like what she uses as foundation because it really has like a high transfer rate. It was all over Deontay's face, all over his face. I would just, maybe we could work on that. I don't know. I, I would just love to know like what it is that she used as a powder foundation, baby powder. But then how do you tint it? See, these are the questions that I'm, I might do my Googles and figure this out. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, there's one point where they're doing the interviews and Deontay is doing that thing where, you know, Nicole's standing in front of him and he's holding her from behind. And then he has to, you know, grab at his penis and talk about how, oh, oh, you're rubbing me from behind. And I, I'm getting a little excited here. And it's like, first of all, um, She's not doing anything but standing there. Your pervert ass is getting horny. And also, um, (laughs) you don't know what you're about to say in that feeling, sir, because uh, she is not trying to fuck you. (laughs) She is not trying to do that. So looking forward to that. Um, Let's end on Stan and Lisa. Stan is a 65-year-old multimillionaire and widow. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. He seems to have adopted this, like, kind of Hugh Hefner throughout the ages vibe. Like, he is insistent on rocking, like, if we don't see him in a red velvet blazer, he's in a robe. 
with cat fur and soup stains all over it. And so he's giving like 70s hef in the fashion, but like early 2000s hef in the face, um, current hef in the body. Because I saw what his chest looked like and it looked a little decomposed. And I would say we're also going back to maybe like 40s or 50s half with the hair color. But again, early 2000s half is coming out. It's creeping out from behind that cheap dye <laughs> that he's using. If you're a multimillionaire, go to the salon to get your hair done. Why? There is some... like. My, I mean, the greater question that I'm constantly asking myself is why are men? But the second question really is why don't men listen to us? So I guess my real question is why do men insist on looking like old perverts? Like there's something about a man, like if I saw Stan out on the street, I think Everybody, every woman at least, would be able to say, this is a man who exclusively dates younger women. This is a man who is trying to uh, not be so forthcoming with how much money he has, but like kind of let you know that he's got money without really letting you know. So that's why he is walking around uh, suburban Ohio or wherever the fuck he lives in these like red velvet blazers. Um why at one point he said i'm gonna put a little bit of lotion on my face to keep it from itching sir how dry is your face (laughs) how dry is it sir um i know people have like eczema and stuff but it didn't seem like an eczema issue it just seems like he uses really dry products it he just has that look. Like, if I posted a picture, y'all would be like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Like, look up Stan from Love After Lock and tell me, is this not the poster child, poster man, for a dude who likes to exclusively fuck, like, blonde, younger women? Now, I will say that Lisa is much older than I expected at 39 to his 65. I was expecting he would probably be you know, trying to bang 28-year-old after 28-year-old, but in progress, I guess. But Stan gets a call from Lisa, and she's about to be released in a couple of days. And she tells Stan, I can't wait to do that thing that we used to do in the basement. Now, let's set it up. Stan met Lisa on Seeking Arrangement, the Sugar Daddy website, and they went on a couple of dates before she ended up getting locked up again. Um, So they do have a little of experience on the outside, not much, but some, and I believe he says that (laughs) she got into some sort of altercation, and so she got her visitation rights taken away so they have not seen each other and i think he said 13 months so um i don't what was that thing they used to do in the basement do i need to know 
I don't need to know. Do I want to know? I definitely don't want to know. But also, tell me, honestly, I feel like this probably involves, like, he, he said something about, like, oh, my batteries are charged. And I just feel like he means that literally, like, Stan seems like the type who doesn't know that, like, sex toy technology has moved past, like, a plug-in or, like, a D-battery situation. And I just feel like if he still has some leftover sex toy from the 80s, and I feel like he definitely does, I am... The podcast is over. I, I will not and cannot continue. Not just a love after luck, luck up uh, recaps. I'm going to end the whole podcast. If I have to see a sex toy from Stan's uh, coterie, if you will, <laughs> that is older than I am, I'm out. I'm out. And you will never hear from me again. Um, Stan, much like Deontay, loves for us to know how horny he is. And I just don't know, you know, like, why is the world so unfair to us at times? It really makes you think. Um, he keeps talking about his, like, sex drive and, like, ugh. No. No. Um, so here's where things get interesting. So Stan is a widower. He has children who he says are around Lisa's age. Lisa really wants to meet them, but he's like, basically, I've already burned bridges with my daughters. They have seen me cart in one blonde after the other who, you know, clearly is just after me for my money, but I don't know that yet. One blonde after the other, they're sick of it. And they don't want to meet your ass, basically. <laughs> but what Lisa does not know, or Stan kind of casually mentions, like, I'm not sure if Lisa knows this, but when I pass on, my kids are going to get 25% of this estate. So I'm assuming he's got three kids. And then he says Lisa will get the ad uh, the additional, or the, the leftover, the remaining 25%. Which is going to come out to be about half a million. <clears throat> he says that she doesn't, he doesn't think that Lisa is aware of the fact that she's in the will like that. And why would she? Because they're not even engaged yet. He says he's trying to take his time and like, once she gets out, see where things go. I mean, cool, but like, cool that you're not engaged, but why is she in the will? <laughs> make that make sense. So when we hear these conversations between Lisa and Stan, she keeps bringing up a certain thing, which is that I look like a boy right now. I'm really nervous about how you think I'm going to, how about you seeing me for the first time in a long time. Like, I just, I feel like you're not going to be into it. So my thought immediately is she must have gained a lot of weight um, and she's feeling insecure. But Stan says... That Lisa says that she's been working out two hours a day every day. And he's like, well, unless she's been eating like a whale, I, I, she should be keeping her toned figure. But apparently, apparently Lisa got herself into a, another scuffle and she has lost a chunk of her hair. So now she's looking like the Cynthia doll from Rugrats. <laughs> So even though Stan's saying, I'm sure you look great. I love you the way you are. I'm here for you. 
I don't care about what you look like, love of my life. The first thing he does is scoot boots down to um, Nikki's wig shop or whatever the fuck it was called and got a couple lace fronts for Lisa because he likes her long blonde hair. I'm like, well, which one is it? Do you love her the way she is or do you want um, <clears throat> Kim Candy and Nikki the wigs to come with you and join you? How about that? Um, he pays about $1,300 for those wigs. Pretty pretty standard pricing. Nikki wants answers. She's like, so what? <laughs> um, Lisa, I guess, what did he say? How did he describe her fight? It was so fucking funny to me. He says that Lisa looks like a boy right now because she lost some of her hair because she got into a fight with a girl who was trying to get in her face. And then Stan says, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Like, he doesn't understand what the phrase get in her face means. Um, this man is, he has no idea what he's getting himself into. So after he's done key keying with Nikki at the wig supply, um, he gets a call from Lisa. So we see mostly footage of him, like, he's in a bathroom <clears throat> and he's talking to her and Lisa's like, Oh, gosh, wouldn't you believe it? My brother got, found himself another charge. He was, like, eluding from the police, I guess? Or maybe there was a high-speed chase or something like that. I guess he was fleeing for the police. But anyway, I'm just not sure what to do. Like, do I just let him live? Or do I, you know, his bail is 30000 and I just like, what do I do? Do I just let him stay there? Or do I try to bail him out? Do we try to bail him out, my brother, for $30,000? What do I do? I just want to be a good sister. Oh, but I don't know. What to Lisa, you can't do anything. You don't have any money, girl. And also, you're still in jail. So clearly she's trying to get Stan to post up $30. She's like, oh, you know, what? who cares about money? It's easy come, easy go. For you, <laughs> for you, um, Stan's not really having it. So then we find out more of Lisa's history. This is Lisa's seventh time in jail. She says it took her seven times to figure it out, but this time she's got it. Not only that, Lisa is part of a, a legacy of uh, bad bitches. Apparently she's like the Kardashians of the fucking uh, inmate system because the whole family's. The whole family is in the business and they're all <laughs> seemingly thriving. Um, her father is a convicted murderer. Her brothers have all been in and out of jail. And like I said, this was her seventh stint in the pokey. And Sam is like, listen, it, it seems like she comes from a whole legacy of people, of criminals. And he's trying to like be nice and be like well I think your brother should probably just learn his lesson you know he's had several times to learn his lesson and he hasn't Lisa's trying to convince Stan to not only bail her brother out but also get him into a treatment program and the greater conversation we could be having is like how clearly these people need help but they're just being put in and out of the system. But 
I would just like to be petty right now and talk about this push-pull of her trying to convince this dude to post up $30,000. No, ma'am. Not happening. He doesn't want Lisa... He's trying to take Lisa away from her whole family. He's like, not only do I not want to be involved in this, I don't even want you talking to them. So, there's that. Oh, Lord. We'll see. We will see what happens, y'all. Okay. That's the end of the episode for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you are able to give me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that would be greatly appreciated. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you for speaking. Love you. Bye.